Lord God, just thank you uh, for this beautiful uh, day. Uh, Lord, as we, we celebrate Mother, and Lord, and we celebrate your design for woman that has just been a blessing uh, to our society. Lord, uh, creating life givers and, and nurturers, Lord. And, and so, Lord, I, we thank you uh, for the gift of, gift of woman and the gift of mother. And, Lord, we also pray for those who are on this day grieving the loss of a mother, Lord. And we pray that they would uh, find comfort uh, in you, Lord. And, Lord, uh, we love you, we honor you, and may you and you alone receive all the glory. Amen. All right. So in light of Mother's Day, how many of you got uh, a Mother's Day jam, right? A song that celebrates and speak of mothers, right? What's your jam? Yeah. <laughs> Mama, right, right. Oh, I got to introduce myself. My name is Alvin. All type of stuff going on today. Microphone, can't remember who I am. My name is Alvin Weathersby. I'm an elder here at MacGav Community Church, and thank you all so much for coming out here and uh, joining and fellowshipping with us today. And um, here at MacGav, um, if you, uh, well, one, uh, this, is, this is a sermon, but also if you have a question about uh, what is being preached, uh, and you think it's edifying to the rest of the body, then feel free to ask a question. Um, but if you're not quite sure, then, um, you know, keep it to yourself, and you could come and holler at me after the sermon or one of your elders. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Well, back to the Mother's Day jam. So we got boys to men, dear mama, right? Sadie, Sadie right? That is a jam. Uh, what else? Anybody else? Bill Withers, Grandma Hand. Um, Kanye West, hey mama, right? Um, so there's a bunch of mothers uh, day jams. There's not a lot of fathers. We get Papa was a Rolling Stone, right? <laughs> right? So, but that's okay, you know. Or if we pass away, we get Luther Vandrice uh, for a draws and my father. <laughs> yeah, but. It's a beautiful thing to celebrate, Mama. Uh, one song in particular that I thought about in light of today's scripture uh, was, it wasn't a song about Mother's Day, but it had a, a verse and a reference um, to uh, Stevie Wonder's mother. And in the song, he's uh, reminiscing about his childhood. And so in the song, his mother... Um, told him not to go outside, right? And so little Stevie Wonder decided to go outside. And here's the verse. It says, sneaking out the back door to hang out with those hoodlum friends of mine. All right? Then he was greeted at the back door with, boy, thought I told you not to go outside. trying your best to bring the water to your eyes, thinking it might stop her from whooping your behind. Right. Amen? How many of us have had that moment where your mother gave you the great did not, right? The did not tell you, right? Sometimes that did not will come with an extra warning. You got one more time. But then sometimes that did not came with judgment. And on this day, Stevie Wonder got judgment. Amen. But in this song, we see that even with him realizing that um, he's in trouble, he tried to plead with her, uh, her compassion and her nurturing nature by, you know, trying to sum up crocodile tears. And it just reminds you, like, even that when we think about the Lord, the Lord is... He definitely um, disciplines us, right? But when he disciplines us, we know that he's doing it, right, for his glory and for our benefit. 
Hebrew 12, 6 says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved to him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. And so today's sermon, right, we're not going to be just dealing with the unruly kids, right, that we saw in the Stevie Wonder song, but how to deal with unruly um, uh, brothers and sisters in the faith. Now, I want to just go ahead and put it out there. That was probably the, the greatest stretch in church history to relate Mother's Day to a child, church discipline. <laughs> uh, but I went for it. <laughs> Amen. All right, so what is church discipline? Um, I'm not going to have time to like thoroughly go into um, uh, a teaching on church disciplines. I'm going to hit those uh, points that is relevant to today's topic, uh, scripture. Um, But what I want to do is kind of give an overview of what uh, church discipline is. And if you want to learn more about it, I really would encourage you to go to the website um, and check out our ecclesiology uh, series uh, where um, it talks about membership and it talks about church discipline. And so uh, if you want to continue to learn and learn more and have questions, uh, that is a great resource uh, to go to. Amen? But basically, church discipline, discipline is one part of discipleship process, the part where we correct sin and point a disi- the disciple toward the better path. Again, church discipline is one part of the discipleship process, the part where we correct sin and point the disciple toward the better path. And so when we look at discipleship, right, and the one thing I want us to understand is that church discipline is a natural part of discipleship. Amen? It's a natural part of discipleship. You know, uh, as we, we realized that, um, well, I realized that today's topic came on Mother's Day. And I, I kind of tried to get out of this. So I brought it up to the elders like, hey, um, you know this scripture falls on Mother's Day. And I was hoping that they would uh, switch up the topic. Um, but we decided it was best to just keep in the rhythm and flow. And the one thing I, did, I had to do was re- renew my mind because oftentimes the world thinks church discipline as really this, this really negative thing, but it's a good thing. It's a gracious thing. And so we realized that discipleship is a natural flow. Uh, well, church discipline is a natural flow of discipleship. So you got one part of discipleship that's formative. Right. One of the things Eric does before every um, uh, sermon or right after worship, he says, we're now getting ready for a time of what? Training. Training, Right. Um, And so there's discipleship that deals with right training, instructing. We do that in our one on one. Uh, It takes place in our small group. And so uh, that's an element of discipleship that we are comfortable and familiar with. But then there is corrective training. When someone is not abiding by the word of God, when they are in error and when they are in sin. And that's what we're going to focus on today, that corrective element of training. And so there's, so when you think about corrective training, think about church discipline, it, there's, it's kind of a spectrum. You have basically going to a brother if he's in sin and then saying, hey, bro, you shouldn't be downloading um, Infinity Wars. Uh, it's still at the movie. That's illegal, right? <laughs> right? No biggie. You just go to him and be like, that's stealing. And, um, and then he repents and you keep it moving. Um, but then you kind of go through this process where maybe that brother decides, like, you know what? Not only am I going to download it, but I'm about to sell it. Right. And so you see the sin escalating. And then next thing you know, um, he got this huge pirating scheme, um, gets busted by the feds and just all this other stuff. But you see how sin escalates. Right. And so 
we treat every step of the way um, differently, but as the sin gets more drastic, so does the discipline. You following me? And so it can start with a warning and then end with excommunication. And really what excommunication is, is when someone's sin um, is so prevalent in their life that we as a church can no longer affirm their testimony. You know, when people come into discipleship or when people want to be a member, the first thing we do is um, we say, hey, what's your testimony, right? We want to hear if they are a believer, right? And if not, um, it becomes a, a time for evangelism as we share with them what is the gospel, right? So that's church membership, but do we also see it in um, baptism, right? When a person comes up and they share their testimony and we are excited and they get baptized and it's a, a celebration, what we're doing then is that we're not only celebrating, but we're affirming that person's testimony and we're saying that that's our guy or that's our sister. Amen? But when that person winds up um, living a life that doesn't line up with their testimony and they're not hearing us, and then we can no longer affirm their, their testimony, right, to the world because then it will compromise our testimony, that's when um, we go to the most drastic form of excommunication. All right? So that's church discipline. Now, what is the purpose of church discipline? Um, first, um, I'm really trying to stick with my notes today. Right? <laughs> you didn't have to say it like that. Um, <laughs> I don't want to give. Um, so, again, not a thir thorough teaching today. I really encourage you to check out the website. But I want to give a few uh, reasons for church discipline. One, to honor Christ by obedience to a scripture. John 4, 14, 15 says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Uh, one of the things is that we love the Lord. We honor him. We, we cherish his name. And the one thing we don't want to do is dishonor him by one, being disobedient um, in our walk with him, but also being disobedient as a church and failing um, to uh, maintain holiness and integrity in the church. Amen? Now, it's a commandment. Right, We are commanded to discipline. But how often do you see, really, in our culture, church discipline happens? You know, I always thought it was kind of optional, <laughs> you know, um, because you don't really hear about it. And, and I think there's a few reasons why. Uh, one, when you think about church discipline and you hear the language in Scripture, and some of you might have um, been triggered emotionally about, the, um, about this scripture, that when you see it, you see the fact that it says, keep away, right? Um, it says, um, do not associate uh, with this brother. And then you see the word shame. And all these words can be trigger words and phrases for us because when we think about God, we just want to think about the fact that he's loving, he's gracious, and he's merciful, and so for some of us, um, we see this and we're turned off by it because of, you know, maybe we had some bad experience. Maybe you've seen the church discipline happen and it wasn't in a loving way. Maybe you've seen some type of uh, rebuke and unloving shaming happen in the body of Christ. I mean, some of you might have been a victim of, of this type of shaming. And so, you know, one of the things I pray today is that you will see that this is that church discipline is good and that you wouldn't um, uh, reject this teaching, but that you will just um, receive it. And I, like I said, I pray that you will see that is good. And I also pray that if you are hurting with it, that you right, go see care and be minister um, to, uh, for that hurt. Because the last thing we don't want to do as a body is be um, caring for one another in our emotions. But we want to be caring for one another in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? 
Another reason is uh, why you don't see church discipline practice is weak membership or discipleship structure. A lot of churches really uh, don't have a, a robust understanding of membership or a robust understanding of discipleship. So you just kind of go to the new members classes and you come and go as you please. There's nobody really in your life. Um, and so in this type of structure, it's really hard uh, to discipline someone um, because you're not in that person's life. Um, and then it's kind of hard to do it in America. Yes. Um, great question. And I'm actually going to hit that point later in the sermon. Um, but yeah, great cu- question. Um, so yeah, so weak membership, weak discipleship structure. And then because in America, if you do do something where you get disciplined in a church, it's easy for you to just find another church and, and then begin to, you know, continue, you'll continue in your sin. And so uh, weak membership, weak discipleship structure. And then I would say um, there's an arrogance. Um, we don't church discipline or a lot of people, a lot of churches don't church discipline because of, of arrogance, um, because they say, hey, it's unloving. Um, like the sister acts, it's judgmental. Um, we worship the New Testament God, not the Old Testament God, right? It's legalistic and like all these you know, other things. And, and I will propose to you that that's, that's arrogance. And that's really the arrogance uh, that you see in 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul says, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him, have, let him who has done this be removed for among you. And so in Corinth, you had like this sin where uh, a man was sleeping with his mother or his mother-in-law was incest and the church was just chill with it um but paul was saying like you know you're arrogant like what is the problem you should be mourning about this and also in that scripture he talks about um uh that he has nothing like our judgment is not for the world right because the world is the world they're unbelievers and so unbelievers are going to act like what unbelievers but we do judge those inside of the body in Christ for all the reasons that I'm going to be mentioning, right? We do it to uh, honor the Christ, to, to ensure integrity and like all these other stuff. And so to hold one accountable so we can see each other grow in holiness and righteousness. Amen? Did I answer your question? Okay. Praise the Lord. Um, and so he says you're arrogant. And so there is an arrogant that goes on out in the world where it's kind of like, we don't, we're just going to grace people through this. We're going to love them through this. And actually, there's uh, this thing where people talk about being broken, right? And it's almost becoming a virtue to be able to just simply admit that you're broken. But I believe in the theology of brokenness. We're all broken, but that shouldn't prevent us from pursuing wholeness and pursuing righteousness. Amen. And so there's an arrogance. And then I believe another reason is the fear of man and a potential loss of allies. We don't do church discipline because it would offend our allies. We live in a time of social justice, and there's this renewed view, this renewed push for social justice. And we see a lot of churches, and it's cool, uh, partnering with secular organizations to deal with... um, um, mass incarceration issues, to deal with um, education reform, to, to deal with immigration, like all these great and wonderful things. But what happens when the church, who is partnering to pursue the common good, and at the same time we're practicing church discipline, where you may receive an abortion doctor that you may have to excommunicate? Or maybe you have someone who uh, refused to give up um, their relationship with their same-sex partner. Once you begin to practice church discipline, right, we don't judge in the world, but when that person says, I'm a believer, then we have to judge their life, right? Because God is entrusting us with his reputation, and so what happens is, is that we could kind of hold the trigger 
and kind of not really talk about the holiness of God, right, for the sake of just getting along. And one of the scriptures I was really convicted by was Matthew 10, 21, 22. It says, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father, his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. You know, sadly, many ministries will compromise the name of the Lord for the sake of getting along. And to be honest with you, there's a part of me, well, I'm grieved because I'm passionate, just as many of you, about social justice. Um, I'm passionate about the marginalizing. And I love uh, my black community. But I know at certain one time, I know at some point, and what this scripture is saying, that brother will be handing over to brother, that there's going to be a battle in the context of relationships where you have relationships with people that are of the world. And you're going to have to in the stand up for righteousness and it's going to wreak havoc in that relationship. And I recognize that one day my passport to Wakanda is going to be revoked. <laughs> right? I understand that one day I will be uninvited from the cookout. And I recognize that one day my black card will be revoked. And that's sobering, right, to think about that. But I pray that we don't allow ourselves to get intimidated by the world, to kind of scale back our prophetic voice. Because part of discipleship is going out and teaching the world all that God has commanded us to do. He commanded us to teach that all lives matter, right? From the womb to the tomb. He, he gives us a work ethic, which we've been dealing with over the last couple of issue, uh, weeks, um, where there was this poor view of work. And so we deal with, we have to minister and teach a holy work ethic, uh, a holy sex ethic, a holy marriage ethic, a holy gender ethic, right? To go along with teaching about uh, justice and how does that look. And then another reason to restore a believer back to righteousness. Church discipline is redemptive, is not punitive, is not vindictive. Amen. And then also to maintain an effective gospel witness. You know, as I was preparing for this sermon, and I listened to a couple of sermons, and it was talking about, you know, idleness, right? Because as Alex preached uh, a couple of weeks, there was idleness in the, um, in the church, and people didn't want to work. And then oftentimes, the sermon illustration from pastors, um, when it talked about being lazy and being out of order, it seemed like the sermon illustration took us to Africa, or the sermon illustration uh, pointed to um, urban cities, right? That was like the example of lazy people or poor workers, right? Or when it talks about purity of the church, we oftentimes they will go into just simply talking about sexual immorality or um, purity of doctrine, right? Those things are creeping in the church. Now, man, passionate about the word, passionate about uh, the word being preached with integrity, passionate about sexual morality. But the thing that seems really, it was just glaring to me was the examples of, of these racist illustrations, right? And from Asian to, to black folks, and I was even sharing um, uh, that in Bible study tool for Busybody, there was this really racist, racist um, um, commentary about being a, a busybody that was aimed at Asian um, brothers and sisters. And this was like a, a major online Bible study tool that is used by Christians throughout the world. But that reminded me of one of the things that has really affected the testimony of Scripture, 
and that is racism, right? Well, the, the witness of the church, and that is racism. And when you think about racism and the fact that so many people, when they think about Christianity, they think about slavery, right? Oftentimes when I'm on social media, people will say, hey, you know, the first slave ship was named the good ship Jesus, right? Or they would say, you know, Christianity was um, used to justify slavery. And then there's this one meme of Chris Rock where he quotes and he says, if you are black and a Christian, you have a short memory. And so these things are heartbreaking is because for many people, the stumbling block is not Christ himself, but really the witness of the church. And you wonder how different would it be here in America and how different would our witness be if the slave traders were church disciplined, if the plantation owners was disciplined, what if the Klansmen were disciplined? What if some of those Puritan fathers that we beloved, right, that owned slaves, what if they were disciplined? What if churches that was apathetic um, to the cause of, of slavery and justice and were actually proactive in their oppression, what if they were church disciplined out of their denomination, right? And so when we look at church discipline and we look at how it affects our witness that we should be zealous about God's glory, about his name, and to make sure that we are a strong witness in our community, right? And I use this as an example not to continue to beat up on our brothers and sisters, but I use it because it is like, I think, the biggest and the most glaring testimony of how the church witness been compromised. All right. And so that's the purpose of discipline. That's what discipline is. And so let's hop into our text for today. And so what we had going on, and our brother Alex spoke about it, that, and we're in the book of the Second Thessalonians. And so in Second Thessalonians, Paul was writing to the church, um, well, in the second letter, to deal with eschatological issues, but also to deal with one issue in particular, and that was work. There was really a, a poor uh, work ethic that was in the church at the time. And so you had these brothers in the church that was being busybodies. And so Ellick's sermon was called, what, The Busy Church. And so he talked about those who were being busy doing the work of God, but then also those who are being busybodies in the church. They weren't working. Some um, believe that because in, uh, they weren't working because in Rome, um, labor in general was looked down upon. There was actually this system of what they call patronage and client where, um, where someone would basically give allegiance to a patron, and that patron would be a benefactor. And so they would say, hey, I'm going to serve you. I give my allegiance to you. And in return, the patron would take care of that person. Now, sometimes it was a legit relationship. They would provide a service. But oftentimes, it, it, it was just kind of for show and vanity and for laziness. And so the patron would have all these clients, and they would be like, Basically, it's entourage. You know how you have an athlete or entertainer and they have an entourage and have all these people around them? And some may be actually a PR person and doing something legitimate, but then other people are just living off the fact that they know this entertainer or this celebrity and they just there and return the celebrity is taking care of them. Why? Because it helps their social status. And it was the same thing... Um, in a Roman culture. And so you would have these patrons that would um, have all these clients and it would be done out of vanity, right? And so Paul understood this, intentionally went into, um, went to establish a church and he was very thoughtful about being intentional with showing a good work ethic. 
And so eventually, that poor work ethic with a kind of a messed up under view, uh, view of eschatological issues, like uh, Alex brought up, where some people were just kind of like, yo, the Lord is coming. I'm just going to dedicate myself to, to studying, preaching, right, and, and mooching until the Lord comes. So Paul, right, on, so basically three occasions, right, think about it. When we think about church discipline, Paul came to establish the church. He taught them what it looked like to work, and he actually modeled it. So that's one. When he left because of persecution and he uh, wrote to them again, two, he says, remember when I was there, I worked. And so you should too, right? That was the second letter. So there's three times that Paul, uh, through formative discipline, spoke to the Thessalonian church about work. Then he hears again that they still not working. And so what is Paul going to do, right? He done modeled. He done... He, so the tradition, he taught them the tradition. The tradition is to work, right? God is a worker, right? Work is good, right? We, there's dignity in work. We were created to work, right? When Christ comes back, we're going to continue to be working to his glory. But they didn't listen, right? And again, we kind of go to that. Now Paul is like, didn't I tell you to work? And so what does he do now? He instructs the body to now discipline um, those who are not working. Amen? Because now communal peace is involved, right? Because these people are mooching and, is, uh, and, and as Paul told them not to grow weary, right? There's probably a weariness as uh, Alex talked about the generosity being sucked out of the church. And so for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of communal peace. And I know our mothers understand when you got a kid that's out of control, you know, and there's no peace in the house, right? Oftentimes we remove that kid and say, go to your room, right? And so it's that discipline here, that unruly kid gets sent to his room, but then also Paul is saying, this is how I want you to deal with God's unruly children. And so he begins, he says, keep away. Keep away uh, from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tra traditions that we receive. And so here, some commentators and theologians think that this is talking about excommunication. Um, you know, I don't think that. I think here is that step before excommunication. If you go to Matthew 18, and it kind of gives us an outline for church discipline. And it talks about, really, there's four steps, right? Go to your brother, right? If he don't hear you, take another brother. He still doesn't hear you, you take it to the church. And then the church goes and begin to uh, warn and admonish that brother. And so here, what seemed to be uh, in view is that point of taking it to the church. Again, Paul instructed. He even told the church um, to admonish those. And now his, his language gets stronger. And he's not just saying simply admonish him, but he's saying, I'm commanding you to do this. And so he's taking it to the church and saying, like, this is what you need to do with these unruly people who are out of order. Right? And also, I believe that this is not excommunication because in verse 12, Paul is still um, ministering to them and he's still directing them to like, look, work quietly with your hands, right? Stop mooching. And so what we, hear, what we see in view here when it says keep away and then when we get to verse 14 um, is a social separation. Now, this plays out differently in um, different churches. And one of the things that um, we as your elders want to do is to make sure we have a, a proper protocol and a process um, 
for our church so that when we have to um, deal with an unruly brother that we will already have something in plan. And so um, that'll be one of the things that we'll be uh, processing through and get back to you on. But in the early church, what you had was, right, that there's this separation. And really the point of the separation was uh, for the person to feel um, the alienation, right? To feel alienated from, well, feel the weight of their sins, right? So as the body withdraw from this person, right, it, it should trigger the person to really reflect, right, about what they're doing. And that's what the word ashamed means, right? It is to look within yourself. Um, this grab group called Das Effect. They would say, check yourself before you wreck yourself. And so, so what you see here is a distancing. And so in the early church, um, some people believe that this was saying like this person would be no longer um, uh, accepted or received at the love feast. And so when the church gathered back in the day in the early church, they would gather for a meal. It was kind of like Matt group. Right, except it was the whole assembly. So they would gather for a meal, and they would eat, they would feast, they would grub, and then after that meal, they would have communion. Amen? And so that social distancing or that social separation is believed that one of the things they did was those people, the unruly, was no longer welcome to uh, fellowship at the love feast or the common meal. And then communion was withhold from them, right? It wasn't excommunication because they were still involved in the life of the church, and, right? And they wanted to be involved in the life in the church so they could continue to be admonished. And we see at the end of the scripture, Paul is still viewing this person as a brother, but they wanted, Paul wanted them to feel, again, what it feels like to be alienated from, from the group, the fellowship, right? And to be alienated and to understand that their sin also alienates them from God. And so I know it's tough, right? To be able to, to basically tell someone you can't have communion or to be like, hey, I can't really rock with you like that, right? To not like in this time to say, hey, we're watching the game and just have that person come over and watch the game and you just sit there like nothing is wrong. Um, like right now, there's something very wrong, right? That person is an unrepented sin. And so we want to love our brother. We don't want them to, to just live in there. And the thing that I like about uh, this passage of scripture, again, it talks about Shame, and that this is a time for that person to reflect inwardly, to write, think about what his life has come to, to think about like, man, I'm kicked out of the fellowship, right? And to think about all that he is losing, right? Fellowship, there's a lot of benefits to fellowship, right? The camaraderie, the, the, the means of grace that God um, distributes in the midst of fellowship, to being able to be cared for, um, the sharing of the burdens, to have a group of people that love you, that is seeking your, your, your greater good for the sake of the kingdom, and like because you're lazy and you don't want to work, right? You're going to let all this go? And then when we think about church discipline, we also should think about, man, like how blinded or how deceived a person has to be where he gives up all that. And if he's willing to give up all that, man, right? Is he even a believer? See, we don't go and say, you're not a believer, <laughs> right? But we say, we can't affirm your testimony. And you need to go and examine yourself. Betty? Good question. Yes. You know, um, church discipline is a process, right? We don't go and just all of a sudden be like, what? 
you know, one person sin and then you like kick rocks. You're dead to us, right? We don't, we don't do that, right? There's a lot of things that we got to take into fact, uh, take into consideration when someone is in sin, right? We may take in consideration, right, their maturity. Are they a brand new believer? Um, like, what have we taught this person? Um, uh, we can examine, like, their history. Uh, someone that might have been abused, um, let's say, um, come from a house where abuse uh, was prevalent and, and, and alcohol and, like, all these other things, and there's some really deep um, stronghold in that person, um, we're not going to just automatically say, you got to go, right? It's a process. And going from the first point of church discipline and going into the last part of church discipline, um, there's a lot that happens there, right? Um, but prayerfully, by the time you get to the point where you have to excommunicate somebody or the step before, which some people may call it disfellowship, that you have loved that person well, that you have cared for them, that you have been patient for them, and now God is saying, you know what, hand them over to Satan. I got them, right? And even in that, there's no language to say that they're not saved. It's just basically like, so basically they'll be saved on the day of our Lord, right? Um, what is it, that their flesh um, will be burned by the day of our Lord. So it's this kind of, um, the Lord saying, like, I'm going to take care of them. I got them. Y'all keep doing what you're doing. You're doing good. And when we decide that someone is to be excommunicated, the Lord gave us the keys to the kingdom. And so we, right, through uh, uh, declarative um, uh, purposes, right? We could say this person is in the kingdom because of their testimony and because of their lifestyle. And then we could say, you know what? This person is not part of the kingdom because of their testimony, is not because of their lifestyle, is not lining up with the testimony, right? So I hope that kind of answers that. And so as we end the day, um, again, when we look at shame, Shame is not a bad thing. In fact, shame is pretty powerful. Uh, in the Mediterranean culture at that time, shame was like a major motivator for people to act right, right? Because you were associated by your group. Whatever group, whatever clique you rock with, you were associated with them, and that's where you find your identity. But if you did something that was out of line, they will kick you out. But when they kicked you out, it was punitive, right? When we withdraw or when we um, separate, it's not punitive, it's restorative, right? It's the hope that this person will respond to the discipline with repentance. And then therefore we could come and he could be restored and reconciled to the church, right? Once that person repent, it's not like you gotta do this and this and this, you know, he repents, um, and then we embrace that person back into fellowship. And even with that, you know, there may be a process, right? Because if someone got exposed for adultery, but we see that he's been doing this for five years, for a long time, um, but now he just got caught and he's kind of like, I'm sorry. And then every step of the way we had to drag information and confession, right? That, all, that, like, when that person repents, like, we don't go and judge their repentance, but the thing we're always looking for is fruit, right? So when a person is repentant and they're bearing fruit, that they're like, yo, I don't want to live like this no more. Uh, I want to pursue righteousness. What do you need to know? I'm going to tell you everything. This is what I do. Here's my phone. Here's my password code. Like, I want to show you that I am repentant, right? That's the repentance that we see when someone comes to Christ, and that's the repentance we see when they're coming back home. Amen? And so shame is not a bad thing. And we see this in our culture. We see the Me Too movement, and we see uh, these other social movements, right? We see that shame plays a big part, right? 
we are at the point today where you just can't do what you want to do, right? Like back in the day, right? So you can't treat women the way that you treated women back in the day, right? You can't treat minorities like you treated minorities back in the way because now there's public shaming, right? People are looking to boycott. People are looking to like put you on blast, like all these other things. And those things aren't bad, right? Because even Martin Luther King said, it may be true that the law cannot make a man love me, but it can keep a man from lynching me. And I think that's pretty important, right? And so shame, right, can go into um, protecting people and to seeing that uh, people are upfront and people are, are just. Now, it, may, it doesn't do anything for the heart, right? But at the same time, um, it's not a bad thing. But even that falls short of the biblical um, ideal of shame. Yes. All right, so um, the office is the church, right? Um, your elders can't say, hey, we're excommunicating this person. Don't talk to them no more, right? Um, when you look at the process, it's the process of, uh, of uh, it's church involvement. Um, and it's very important for the whole church to be involved. We don't want to have good cop, bad cop when it comes to church discipline, right? Good parent, bad parent, where that person can kind of find a group of people that will be team him, right? Where it could be like, see, they're being mean to me. And then the other people are like, yeah, you know what? They are being mean. Church discipline is a congregational thing, right? And so, again, we see that in Matthew. Uh, and we see every time church discipline is, is talked about, it's not just leaders, but it's to the body at large. And then abuse. Um, you know, I, I think when it's not gracious, um, when it's unloving, um, when it's unfair, uh, those type of things where it seems vindictive, it seems punitive, you can't see the redemption or the grace um, I think you may be having an issue with church discipline um, or church abuse. Um, so, yeah. Okay. And so, family, as we just leave here today, the one thing that I want y'all to understand is that church discipline represents the character of God. And we, as God's people, we are his representatives on this word, earth. God cares about his reputation, and he cares about his representatives, right? And we are to model God's character. And when we look at the, the whole of Scripture, we see that God is a disciplining, redeeming, reconciling, restorative God. We see him discipline in the beginning, Right, Adam and Eve, we see they received his discipline. We see Moses discipline. We see Abraham discipline. We see all of Israel discipline. When the Lord came, and people like to say, I rock with the Bible or the New Testament, not, oh, Jesus is the one saying, hey, turn that person over and treat them like a tax collector, right? Jesus was serious about discipline, and you see it also uh, through his apostles and the epistles and whatnot. So God is a disciplining God. Again, that's not a bad thing. But what we understand is that he's not, a pu- he's not just um, doing, his state, doing it to be vindictive, but also throughout scripture, we see this beautiful story of redemption. And we see the way that he began in the garden, right? Where he cared for Adam and Eve that before he kicked them out the garden. He gave them hope that they will be one day restored back to them. And he gave them the pride. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of goes to um, Joseph's question, right? Um, bad shame in those situations of, of church abuse. And all shame is not good, right? Um, if you're familiar with the story of the Scarlet Letter, where the woman that was caught in adultery uh, was given this scarlet um, letter A so that the whole um, community would know that she's an adulterer and that it was just strictly like it was 
it was shaming for vindictive uh, reason. It was shaming to be punitive. Uh, even when the world practiced shame, uh, sometimes, um, you know, for example, Kanye West. Um, right now, there's shaming of Kanye West. He was in the hip-hop culture. Now he's out of the hip-hop culture because of some of the things that he's, he's saying. Right now, I don't agree with what he's saying, but the way you see he, the way you see that he's treated, right? This is how the world deals. Um, this is how the world shames people, right? So you see these memes about him. You see these satires about them. You see a mocking and a ridiculing and saying, "Look at this dude." And and so you see all these things that are are meant to say, "Hey, this dude needs to be punished." He needs to be um, uh, mocked, and we need not to have anything to do with him. And so there's no redemption. And so when shame is done and there's no redemption, and it's not done for the sake of redemption, it's not done with the sake, for the sake of reconciliation, that is unhealthy shaming. And that is the way the world shames, right? And we don't do that. And I know it's funny to hit like and hit share when we see people who don't agree with us being shamed. But then how are you as a Christian going to step up to Kanye West and try to share the gospel to him after you done mocked him and ridiculed him, right? Um, I hope that kind of gets it. Um, so you have family. So I just want us to see that church discipline is a good thing when it's done redemptively, when um, the motive is reconciliation and restoration. Um, all right, amen? All right, well, let's pray. Dear gracious Father, Lord God, we just thank you, um, Lord, that you're a gracious Father, that you're merciful, that even in your chastening, uh, there's mercy. Lord, that for our sake, that you allowed your son to receive uh, the ultimate discipline by dying on a cross for us um, to, to take the wrath and the judgment that should have been given to us, Lord. Lord, the, the punishment that should have been delivered to us, eternal punishment, Lord. But I, because you loved us, Lord, you sent your only begotten son that who should ever believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we minister to one another, Lord, that we will always do church discipline with a gospel framework, that we will always discipline one another with grace and love and patience and charity, Lord, and so that we will be um, just a great witness to our community. And Lord, we love you, we honor you, and may you and you alone receive all the glory. Amen.